Hey guys, Steve here, Potent Ponics. Today we're going to talk about going with fishes. Growing with fishes. Everybody, welcome to Growing With Fishes podcast, episode three hundred and four. Man, we are really firing them off this week. Uh, since we hit three hundred, uh, super excited for this episode. Um, we're gonna have a bunch of kind of rapid fire episodes between now and the Mycelia at the festival. Um, we have a lot of awesome speakers that we're gonna feature on the show between now and then. Tonight is kind of the first, or I, not the first, but the second. Uh, and a series of, of amazing speakers that will be part of the Mycelia at the Festival uh, out in Washington State. Uh, you can check us out at Wilkinson, Washington, August 19th, 20th, and 21st. Um, uh, Matt Powers, who is our guest this evening, and myself will also be out there along with Chris Trump, who will uh, uh, may or may not be making an appearance on the channel this week, um, uh, along with Dustin Powers, Matt Powers, uh, Catherine Seidman, uh, Cass Posey, uh, myself, Molly, there's a whole bunch of awesome new people on the schedule as well that we have. That she hasn't had a chance to get up on the website. So I'm super excited to see all these awesome educators uh, out there in Washington. It's certainly going to be uh, a bit of a vacation for us roasting here at uh, 44 degrees Celsius in the middle of the country. Uh, that, that's for sure. Um, uh, so thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the show, uh, I'm Steve, your host of Potent Ponics. Um, we have a huge library of resources available over at potentponics.com, along with the, uh, uh, get this going. there we go, sorry, bit of a clunky day today, uh, thepestclass.com, we have a huge class on pest management for living soil or aquaponics, um, you can go ahead and check that out over at thepestclass.com, we also have apmjclass.com, we have a full, uh, it's almost six days now of full content, we'll be adding a whole nother set of about three to 400 slides uh, and counting um, <laughs> uh, over at uh, apmjclass.com. Marty and I have been doing a ton of new work. He's got a bunch of new greenhouse content. I have a bunch of new commercial content uh, going up on there. So um, definitely check that out if you're into aquaponic cannabis and aquaponic cannabis cultivation. We have a, basically every single aspect of aquaponic cannabis cultivation or design or management on there um, that you can check out. And then we also have, which we'll be talking about later in the class today or on the episode today, sorry. Again, it's been a long day. Um, the Oprin Nutrient Project, um, which we're finally launching this week, which we're going to go into uh, great depth later in the episode. So, but basically, um, you can go to opennutrient.com. Uh, it's connected to my website, but you can click on any nutrient. So we'll hit magnesium. Uh, and then we're going to go to that here. And you can see all the different um, plants by average minimum nutrient parts per million content of magnesium. And then you can select based on, um, yep. It's all based off of Dr. Dukes, but we've also added some additional information as well on top of what's in Dr. Dukes database um, to try and get as many different sources as possible. And we're going to kind of constantly add to this. So if you know of a source that's like Dr. Dukes and we can continue to add to this free open source database, we're going to do that. But what's also cool about this is you can scroll down to the bottom and uh, say you you going to make... Um, uh, FPJ, and you want to test the different nutrients from it, you can go to the water testing section and find all the different water test kits that you need. Um, so I got to fix the framing on this, but you, you can scroll sideways over to whatever different uh, uh, link that you need for each nutrient test kit it has parts per million, um, the cost, the tests per box, anything that's relevant to the different nutrients that you might want to test in the solution, all available for free online on the website here, which we'll get to again a little later on. 
Um, but what's cool about it is you can actually go all the way to the bottom here and click um, and submit your own information. If you want to submit your own nutrient input, you can using the form below, and that'll spit it out here for everyone into this universal database. And we've already had people, and we've only had this up since this morning publicly, um, submitting their moringa ferment and a whole bunch of other things that has the different nutrient parts per million levels with the stuff that they've tested um, and the dosing ratios they use. Any relevant information that they have is all available within the spreadsheet for free for everyone. Um, and the idea is to kind of take, you know, we have all these people that are experts in KNF and people that are experts in Jadam and experts in uh, the soil food web and all these different aspects of things. But we're all on the same team. We're all on, on we're basically against things like, you know, corporate industrial um, agriculture and things that are kind of poisoning the ground, poisoning our water and poisoning the air. And the best way we can defeat them and take away their dollars is to build tool sets that allows people to not rely on them or need them anymore. And that's kind of the goal of this project is to give people answers that they need to build fully balanced compost or inputs so that they can solve their own problems and they don't need us anymore, or they don't need big corporations to sell them a solution. Um, so um, if you're interested in helping, um, please email me at opennutrientproject.com. We have a ton of free resources. I will be adding more and more resources to that site as well. Uh, and um, it's free for everybody to use. And if you wanna use it to build your own stuff, um, please feel free to use that. So thanks for joining us today. Um, we have an awesome guest today. Uh, Matt Powers is one of the best permaculture authors, podcasters, and uh, otherwise educators out there uh, on this type of topic. It's a wonderful new Kickstarter he just finished up. He has an incredible podcast. Uh, he's just all kinds of different wonderful things. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Matt. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of how you got started with permaculture. You really kind of are one of the authorities. You I mean, you're up there with uh, Elaine Ingham or Chris Trump or any of the other, you know, powerful people in the industry that really are the, the go-tos for education. So I really appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I didn't plan on being an educator. I went to school to be a writer and a musician. And I was a professional musician in New York City. I was the bass player in a band with Saturday Night Live's drummer, who's still Saturday Night Live's drummer. Um, <laughs> and and I mean, like I write him like consistently, like we're, 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 we're still friends. And I, and he has been since 93. So he was there when it was actually good. Um, I, I was really like married to that life. And what happened was my wife got thyroid cancer and I, I read science fiction and fantasy novels and like wrote science fiction and played four strings. I was a very simple guy. And when this happened, it was like, like I was like a cold shock or an electric shock in my life. And it, and it really fundamentally soured all that, that free way of being and thinking um, for a time. And I had to like rebuild that based upon completely different things. And so when my wife got cancer again, that was like three months later from the radioactive isotope that she took to oblate her thyroid. And, and we, we fundamentally realized like we had to do something and the doctors weren't going to guide us properly. And I 
she prayed and she said, I got the prompting that we need to leave and you need to quit. And I was like, I am about to be part of the professional like world and you get called. And like, like I said, I was in that band with that Saturday Night Live drummer. He's a, he's a studio guy. He's like the guy who gets a con called and gets like paid top dollar to just jump in and be perfect. Like that was my dream because it's like so simple. You just play bass. There's nothing hard. And, and like, you know what I mean? Like shooting, <laughs> shooting for what I could hit. Right. And so I, I was very comfortable, extremely comfortable. And my wife um, was right though. I prayed about it and, and I got the same prompting. And so we left and we were out West and she wanted me to be at home. And again, I prayed about it and I became a substitute teacher and I hated school when I was a student. I hated it. I like ducked out of everything the moment I could. She didn't even know when we were dating. I was a senior in college. She didn't realize for three months that I was in college. I didn't bring it up. Why bring it up? You know? And, and, and okay. So, so like, I was like, not a great student. I was like all these different things. But we had a baby and she lost her thyroid. And so she lost her energy. And so like I had to step up. I did the Gerson therapy for three years as her person doing the juicing and the cleaning and like the prep for all like the, you know, the enemas and all that. And it was really hard. And all that like made me realize the only thing that was in my control was um, the like, medicines we can grow and get safely from people we know in the local area and food and 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 the whole idea of good food is it becomes medicine i mean that was the whole point of like juicing like that's so extreme right and uh, we have we have two and and it, was, and it was so hard to have our second son that like it just solidified it for me that the only way to like do our life to, to survive and to make sure our children didn't have because I have Crohn's so like my digestion like makes it so it's extremely hard for me to travel and whatnot. And so I tend to eat a very restrictive diet and everything and I don't want my kids to have that. And, and, you know, my wife has no thyroid and she doesn't want our, our, our kids to, you know, have thyroid problems. And so we've been kind of, you know, on the side of extra cautious with like so many things with our children growing up, we researched, we researched things like crazy. And what happened was I, we had young kids and I was doing permaculture and I was given this opportunity when I was getting my, 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 my student credential to add on to get a master's degree and not do like a whole separate master's degree program. So they were like, well, if you do 13 months, we'll count that as this. And I was like, okay. And so like, I got to do the same work, but I didn't have to do the same prerequisites, which was wild. And so my son was like one and, and four. Or, yeah, I think one and four, one and five. My boys were, were those ages. And I learned the educational psychology of development. 
And I learned like the actual best practices around cognitive, um, like Bloom's taxonomy of cognition. So I figured out like what motivates people like in reality. And we started unschooling my kid, our kids. <laughs> and we started um, like, I didn't teach, ever teach my son music. And when he was 13, he, he recorded with a Grammy award-winning artist. And, and that's not even public yet. And he's 15 because we value like him developing more than like using his thing to promote it. You know what I mean? Um, Cause it's, it's like powerfully personal and sacred, you know, to him. Um, he can play anything. He's like, a, he's fluent in music and, and he wants people to notice him now. I mean, and like he wants to do things, but, but like, and he put out his first album and, but he wants the stuff from anyway. My son, the point is, is that I was able to, on this path, see all these different things. I got my master's degree in education and I took Jeff Lawton's PDC and I was like, hey, can I turn this into a curriculum? And he said, you have my blessing. And, and he was like, you just gotta like, like, let me turn it into Arabic. And I was like, okay. <laughs> And so he actually had it translated into my first book into Arabic. And, I, and the first book is the standard PDC, but on paper. And so I created that and I designed it in an eighth grade language um, reading level. And so I made it so that suddenly everyone could read it and all the adults bought it. And I was like, what's happening here? It's like, I'm a high school teacher. You know what I mean? And so I'm like designing these things for kids and the adults all bought it. And so, and like what followed from there was like a spectacular failure where I tried to start an actual physical school around permaculture. And in the final weekend of that Kickstarter or what was in Indiegogo that failed, I came up with an online version that was for adults too. And then it, I had over a hundred students. I, it was like, okay, this works. And because I'd been teaching teachers best practices on like how to teach without homework and how to get high standardized test scores without smothering them, without like even using homework, without even teaching to the test. The thing is, if you have authentic learning experiences, like let's say we go out into the woods, we learn to chop wood together. Are you going to go home and draw a picture of yourself chopping wood to practice or like do math problems around chopping wood? No, you learned it. That was your experience. And that authentic experience is the highest form of learning. And so it's like, I just applied all that kind of thinking to permaculture. And within like two years after doing that first book, I realized like nothing was really cited in permaculture. And so I went to recite things from like the 1989 Bill Mollison Permaculture's Manual. And most of it was out of print or like $900 for like this like one book. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to look at like the actual history of like research around it and just go to the original source documents and see what new source documents there are in the past 30 years. And so I created uh, this 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 manual, this updated manual, the advanced, the permaculture student two, and it's free online. I, I made it, I, I had over 24 different peer reviewers. I had a, a 
a professional editor helped me with it. And it was like such a gift for me educationally to be working with all those people. And then it's like you said at the beginning of your show, this is a, a human right to know this stuff. So why don't we make it easy? I mean, it's like we have to do work to survive, right? But it's, it took me two years to write and it's over 400 pages. And it's my gift, you know, to you and everyone in the world. And it's like with this book, we can fix everything. And like, that's the most incredible thing. Like Chris Trump stuff is in there too, of course. Uh, all those preps are in there. And and they're also in my Regenerative Soil books as well. And they're expanded in there. Um, and, and Chris is so amazing about all that. Chris has always just provided and always just been so open. Um, and that's really what, you know, that and, and so many other people, you know, doing that has inspired me to continue that forward. So that book's that I wrote that book and then that book, because it was free, went out like everywhere. Yeah, this is this is Chris. Chris's amazing site. Chris does a wonderful job. Um, and and I would say that the, his his online courses are incredible. And he's actually like, if you've done them before, he's updated them. But I also would say that meeting Chris and and like going to one of his courses in person is a uniquely special experience and it's one of those things that i've heard about from all my students that have worked with them so it's uh it's something not to be missed but yeah so i just started writing books i because i was trained as a writer and then trained to create curriculum at a school that had no books so i was at a school that only had laptops it was an apple certified education school you know and it was a charter school. And so I had to create all the curriculum from scratch. And so I really learned to like figure out what actually worked because why would I create a curriculum that sucked? Like, I mean, I literally did actually at first and the kids hated it. I, I, I created a Simon, like I created, you know, the game Simon from the eighties that do, 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 and the colors and everything. I created that for the notorious confusables there, there, and there, and two, two, and two. It was the dumbest thing ever. It was so convoluted. And the kids were like, what is this, sir? Like, it was awful. So like, I, I went through my like scrambled, like, you know, like my like ruined pancake <laughs> stage as an educator. And, and I just, it all kind of came together. And I created the first permaculture course that had a P advanced PDC, which was you actually create the actual products because that's the best practice in education. You don't reward the kid for like showing he can do it. It's like, see, I have the possibility of doing this. It's like, no, 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 no. You do it and then you get the grade. It's like, no, here's the outline. I can write this essay. It's like, no, no, you have to write the essay. And it's, it's the same thing with permaculture, same thing with soil. And we have to honor people for doing the work and then showcase those people and then honor them for their mastery. And, and also make room for them to rise because the highest level of learning is teaching. And so the students must have opportunities to and be encouraged to teach. And so I, that's what I did. I applied that to... Ah, I got you. I applied. 
I have that season, man. Now. We have we have some monster flies here too in Oklahoma, man. It's just that time of year. Yeah, and it's a new new house that we're moving into. The, the, this is an old house that wasn't lived in, and so we're like still like. We're gonna kill the old residents. <laughs> but but yeah, so and and I've had you know I I was a school teacher living in a garage in my my wife's grandparents house like land and and it that was like a process and she's fought cancer and defeated it like over seven times our boys are 11 and 15 now we've been married 18 years this december and i've written over 21 books and i have over a dozen online courses that permaculture course is over 200 hours long <laughs> and it's it's been this incredible journey and i've completely been changed by it and so i think part of the reason why like i'm here and and you know I, like all the people you mentioned have like 20 years on me um except for like chris chris i think is like five years on me but but and chris is chris is uniquely amazing um, and I think yeah, he, the, he's fucking awesome. Full, full disclosure, I'm hanging out with him all the rest of the week. Yeah, yeah. So I think that the secret with all that is that we're in alignment with our integrity and our purpose. And so when we're in that alignment, it creates like this like like resonance in our way our personality is, and it gives us this extra energy or uh, like life, you know, like in enthusiasm. I feel like is entheos is this this spirit of life and you feel alive when you're in those kind of spaces doing those kinds of things and you can see it in chris's face on his post he's just happy and just pure you know that's what it's about yeah and he's always innovating i mean every time him and i talk he's always experimenting which is what a whole bunch of awesome work that uh, i've worked on or experimented with at the very least uh uh, you know, he found the IPMO and then we replicated that in Zimbabwe and Oklahoma and a bunch of other awesome stuff. That's all thanks to him. So kind of pushing. That's amazing. Science. Yeah. And I think that enthusiasm has that, right? And so it's like, you're excited, but you're also open-minded and, and it, and it makes it so that like, you're much more open to more creative like ideas. So actually speaking of that, I'm going to flip things around here. How did you come up with the dual root zone solution? Sure, that's an interesting question. So um, when I started the aquaponics source, two weeks after I started there, Sylvia, we used to have company meetings once a week. And, it, and we kind of go over all the week's goals, you know, on, on every Tuesday of what we need to get accomplished before next Tuesday. And um, I'm, I'm there as my second week there. And Sylvia's like, so we want to get into this aquaponic cannabis stuff. It looks like Colorado is going to legalize um, we, we want to get ahead of this. Like, does anyone have any experience growing? And I'm just like, you know, I just kept my hand down. Cause I'm just like, they're just fucking with me. Cause I'm the new guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way that they're actually looking for that. So I just kept my, and she's like, well, we need to, can we set up an email and try to find someone that might be working on this? And I was like, Oh, like you're actually serious. Like you're not just screwing with me. Like, I actually have a lot of experience growing weed. Like, just give me a system and I'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> so they gave me a system. We did four runs and it wasn't until the third run that we figured out that 
there was a, a potassium retention issue, a, a couple of other things, but mainly a potassium retention issue uh, in the soil that's really hard to solve with fish waste without causing heart attacks in the fish or other cardiovascular issues um, in terms of maintaining many minimum parts per million. So we had to find a way to maintain a higher potassium level in the root zone without affecting the fish. So the best solution was we, we came up with, we had, um, they make these like uh, rock wool plugs for starting seeds. And we were putting those in and soaking them in potassium, whatever nutrient that we wanted before the run, and then putting those into pots that were flood and drain with media, uh, kind of pre-soaked to kind of have as, act as a reservoir for the roots to kind of have to, to pick from, and, and then letting them try to take from that. And that, you know, was kind of an idea down the right direction, but we didn't really have it figured out. Uh, and then there was a guy that visited from Serbia that was doing like layered methods where he had the top layer was rock wool that he was kind of like top dressing uh, and then in uh, milk jugs actually <laughs> that he was doing uh, with cucumbers and then the <laughs> bottom half was flood and drain uh, you know in a, in a flood and drain media bed and then I was like oh well that's how we need to do this like we just need to put a layer above the flood and drain layer that has a retention level and then we started experimenting with that with the rock wool and then we realized well what are we doing this for let's just use soil since it has all these other wonderful benefits to it that we already think of. And then I went out to the Regen conference out in 2018. After the, all that, um, we had a lot of success. We matched the yields with hydroponics and soil for the first time on our fourth run. After that, we started beating the, the control units um, when we ran them in side by side with aquaponics by top feeding. So that, that's how we kind of progressed past that. But then we realized that we could dial it in for different crops. So we could do really acidic soils for berries. We could do um, pre-inoculate with uh, for things like OSHA root or other or um, other like mycorrhizal sensitive um, root crops that have like really peculiar uh, things. So there's quite a few different root crops out there that have that have to have associated microbes. But OSHA root is one that's highly antiviral. It's heavily used in, in medicinal herbal medicine, but it's hard to produce at a commercial scale. It's almost exclusively wildcrafted. We were able to grow, you know, a whole 6,000 square foot greenhouse of it. So we had no problem growing it and having the same nutrient, uh, you know, medicinal content compounds levels as the, you know, wild controls. So, and that was, again, just testing it against stuff in Colorado, but we had no problem matching it. So that was when we realized, like, we, we got this figured out now. Um, we just got to figure out the soil. So then we realized that the more lignin producing the crop is, the more uh, soil it needs. So for instance, if I'm doing fruit trees, you want like a, a two-third soil to one-third flood and drain ratio. Whereas if I'm doing something like uh, cannabis or cucumbers or tomatoes or peppers, I want to do a 50-50 and kind of give it you know half access to each. So it really just depends on which crop you're growing and you can kind of dial it in based on what you want. If a crop has a specific um, nutrient or pH range or, or pre-inoculated with whatever, you can kind of dial that in in the soil zone and still allow it to feed the main nutrient source from the aquaponic system. So you can grow a bunch of different crops, even ones that have different pH requirements all in the same system without having to you know run multiple systems. What does mycorrhizae do at the water level? Does it keep going so, through? Yeah, actually some of them do. So we actually had uh, Dr. Cazares on a couple of times and he actually found some of them. And Dr. Lane Ingham actually found some of this too, where if it has a soil zone to colonize, they'll chase the roots down into the water. 
as long as it kind of has that base to, to go from. But there's also aquatic fungi that will, will happily associate with the root system separately from the terrestrial ones that we're familiar with. So it kind of gives you access to a whole other biome that has its own stuff. In fact, just this week, I posted a whole other white paper that was a huge assay of a whole bunch of different aquatic loving plant beneficial root fungi um, that were found in a, in a different study. So you can check that out at um, Aquaponic Cannabis Growers on Facebook if anyone's listening to the show. Wow. Facebook.com. So I wonder, I wonder how they did that. So many of the DNA testing and sequencing methods, like they do things that I, they, they screw up the results, like culturing screws things up and then PCRing screws things up. And so nanopore is the cleanest way to sequence, but they're not very good at getting the fungi. Um, and that's like the limiting factor. I'd have to go back and look and see exactly what sequencing method was used on that. I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember what the method we used. I was more interested on the, the genus, uh, genuses of the species when I was looking at it for, for what I was doing. But. Yeah. I'm super curious about all of that. Like, I wonder, I wonder how many of those, those fungi are actually surviving rhizophagy versus um, just being zapped and consumed. Because I mean, if, if they're, if they're invasive and they're being consumed, then they're just like compost tea and they're dropping all their nutrients that they're carrying um, once their cell membrane has been removed. I'll just pull up the white paper here. Give me a second. Let's uh... That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I wonder also like which, um, which fungi, which mycorrhizal fungi, which arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, you know, um, are the ones that can extend further into the water. So this is I the paper, you... is the surprising spectra of root associated fungi in submerged aquatic plants. This is this from is uh, 2012. There's a lot more in the aquatic microbiome that's, it, the more I learn about it, and this, the, again, this is coming from aquaponics and then getting, jumping right into the region conference and all the wonderful speakers that we had there. The more I look at it, aquaponic systems are just like building living aquatic soil when it comes to the diversity, the mechanisms that are going on, the mineralization, all the different components, it functions the same as terrestrial soil in terms of what's going on at a chemical level. It, different players, different species, but chemically, it's not very really that much different. That's why I think, you know, describing it as hydroponics plus aquaculture is kind of doing it a disservice. It's much more appropriate to call aquaponics aquatic soil production, especially if you're doing it the right way. Um, especially if you look at it under the microscope, it looks much more similar to that than it does a sterile hydroponic system. That's for damn sure. <laughs> it's almost like you're taking the entire ecosystem of cycling and you're making your, your, you're, you're shrinking it and putting it under your control so that you can um, set off different cycles to, to work with different plants. That's incredible. Yeah, so I never saw it that way. I always saw it from the perspective of like, like going all the way to like aeroponics being like, this is, you know what I mean? Like we're missing things. And then when you brought in soil into the equation and solved all of that, uh, I've only been referring people to you. Well, thank you. Uh, I will say that we've noticed a, a, a huge reduction in disease 
uh, outbreaks. Powdery mildew is much less with the addition of soil. Um, we have less issues with uh, sooty mold. We have less issues with blight in tomatoes. There's a lot of different diseases that simply by having that extra component to stimulate the plant's own SAR and plant immune system mm -hmm. uh, against those types of pathogens, you don't have to do all these crazy sprays and all the rest of this crazy stuff. You just have to activate the plant's immune system. And how do you do that? You make the roots as diverse as possible in terms of microbial species. And it, it doesn't matter if it's living soil, compost, uh, or, or aquaponics. However you go about that is up to you and, and what works best for you and your farm. But simply achieving the most amount of biodiverse um, microbial species without being pathogenic is how you achieve the best possible solution, best growth rates, best flavor compound production, um, you know, best disease resistance, all of those things that come with healthy plants. Do you see a difference in doing lights versus sun with these systems? Are you relying on like on sun or, or lights, artificial lights? So I work with both. Um, most of the stuff I'm doing these days is greenhouse stuff, be it lettuce or anything else. But, um, uh, you know, with light, you do have a better light spectrum. You also have a different UV spectrum, especially when you get up into Colorado, higher altitude elevation areas. Um, there's just a huge difference in terms of especially uh, anthocyanin production and a couple of other flavonoids we've noticed a, a huge difference, but even aquaponics versus living soil, I, you know, there's a couple of terpenes now that we've mapped out pretty well that express much better in aquaponics than they do in terrestrial soil. And there's very clearly either a microbial component or some other mineral component that's triggering that. And we have, we don't know the answer to it, but I, I can replicate it all day long. You know, so um, this is the kind of stuff that we kind of need to suss out because if there is a solution where, hey, you need this particular chemovar profile or this whatever medicinal uh, essential oil profile for whatever it is that you're trying to do for commercial operation, um, you're going to want this particular grow method to maximize your return on that particular oil production and, and vice versa, where you may not want to use a particular one and use this other regenerative practice for this other method. So it just depends on, you know, it just could take us time to map all this stuff out and figure out what's going to be best for what type of application more than anything else. Yeah. I think we're going to find that there's specific microbes that trigger or foods that trigger those specific microbes to create the, the secondary metabolites or trigger the production of the secondary, secondary metabolites within the plants to be the medicines that are particular to that cancer, to that particular, you know, like, like epileptic seizures or anxiety or depression. Um, and I think it's all microbial. I don't think they can go about it um, the way that they're going about it, where they're like, we will isolate down to the individual and you know, I've seen, well, I don't know if you know. Monomolecular pharmacology. Right, right. Like, like I saw.
Hello? Hello? Are we still live? Can you guys see me? Did he connect or did I? I'm a bit confused. Let me make sure that we're still live here. Looks like we had some type of glitch. Can you guys see me? Hello, check, 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 check. Are you guys good? I'm frozen, he's frozen. Okay, cool. So I'm live, he disconnected, correct? I'm just reading chat here, bit of a delay. Okay, I panicked and tried to switch to my backup internet connections. I didn't know quite it up, but it's all good. Oh, you're good. I thought my internet connection died, so I panicked and tried to switch to my backup internet connection. So that was entertaining for me. <laughs> I'm on my backup now. <laughs> it's you know, it's funny. We both have backups internet connections too. So <laughs> I think everyone right now is like thinking about like the world is hanging upon a thread, um, and I, it, I, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't fault them for thinking that. I think that we're we're walking around with like uh, headless leadership, you know, in a way. Uh, we have um, people who are actively thwarting, like like you mentioned at the beginning. It's like we have to be transparent in order to 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 really move forward. And that's why that our soil database, which is part of that Kickstarter launch, came to me. I had a student of mine. Uh, as a certified soil you know, consulting soil food web lab um, in a, a European country, and a farmer gave them and the other lab in the same country the, the same sample. And then they came back with totally different recommendations and interpretations. And that like totally made them uncomfortable. And when they heard the student, when they heard that I was doing a microscope book, was like wanting to reach out to like make sure I understood that like the fungal to bacterial ratios that they were like taught and they're doing as a business. They actually did a Zoom with the other the other lab side by side and did it, and it 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 still it still didn't work out. They were still divergent in their readings of the same spell. And so it put them in the position of being like, wow, I can't trust the fungal to bacterial ratio um, work that, that I've been doing. And so I was like, we're doing everything in a black box manner. We're not looking at each other's work. We're not discussing how we're doing things. And that's the pattern I see in the literature and the published literature and the journals and from the universities and they don't show their work for the most part. Dr. James F. Uh, James F. White shows his work. He's been an incredible mentor to me and so many people because he shows his work. But the reason we know him is because he's one of the few and everyone else is doing like a chart instead of showing you what their actual slides look like and their interpretations can't be questioned then. And so no, and then when I brought this up with the microbiologist, um, that wants to help us create this database. They got mad on the phone. And then I was like, what happened? What's going on? And they were like, in school, I thought they didn't want us to get good. And now I realized was 
they were afraid of a scene that they didn't even know what they were doing. And he was like incensed because he went to school to be a microbiologist originally and eventually dropped out because they just, they didn't give him the ability to actually feel confident like he was learning enough. And so this database is, is going to be a way, just like your database, I, I, I can see a way that we can like, we can synergize all and, and all like with like Dr. Duke, you, the way you're synergizing there. I want to do the bio-nutrient meter readings on plants and the BRICS readings of plants um, and the plant sap analysis, plant tissue analysis of, of plants in association with all the soil tests that we can muster. So not just our regular standard minerals, but our, 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 our micronutrients, but our, our, you know what I mean? Not just our salinity, not just our CEC, our organic matter percentage, our pH, but the paramagnetism, um, the, the Haney, the Solvita, the, fung the, the fungal, the bacteria microbiometer, because I've got one of those now too, as a control on my own readings for fungal to bacteria ratios. We, we all these tests so that we have a holistic view of the soil and a holistic view of the plant health, because this whole one test kind of thinking is what got us in the, in trouble in the first place. I mean, you go back and read some of these texts and the way that they're written. It's so obvious, like <laughs> that they, they want people to think my like myopically or obediently. And they 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 want them to 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 be a, to to think that everything's settled that the science is settled on this the science it's like this big concrete block that doesn't change it's like actually science is us working together and discussing and questioning and being like I'm doing this experiment 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 and the reality is it's like we've got these formalized experiments that we call formulas and they're they're these these tests that we do, which are formalized experiments that give you a window. And so unless we go down the actual principles behind the reason why they created those tests in the first place, you and I won't understand those tests in a way that's truly fluent. And we won't be able to change those tests to actually get the new interpretations because new methods of interpretation lead to new insights. And we won't ever progress unless we start understanding it and spreading that understanding. And it, we can't do the, the pinnacle thing any longer where it's like this one expert and it's all locked up and everyone goes to this course. And then we have to like have a place also where it's like the MMA th effect, right? Where we let things play out. We, we, we see that, oh, in the human tropics, green natural farming on this particular crop is 10,000 times stronger in effect than that same crop, like up 20 degrees latitude, or you know what I mean? It's like all of these things or, or at a certain altitude. And they're like, oh, that means the pressure. Oh, the atmospheric pressure affects the microbes. You bet it does, but we don't know. We don't, we've never mapped those things out because no one shows their answers. And then everyone's like, oh, but the universities match. The universities, who runs the actual university gardens and the university farms? Oh, the grad students and the undergrad. Those are children. And we, we love our children. We all love our children. 
but they we can't expect their work to be anything like the Joel Saladins or the Chris Trumps. Like those kind of results are going to be alien. And to put them together and create an average out of it is misleading. And so what we need to do is look at apples to apples, oranges to oranges. We need to set it up so we can see cradle to grave so that you're like, oh, this is my compost. These are where the ingredients. Oh, this is how long I let it sit for. I added EM to it. All of those details creates a completely different result. But, but when we actually can map across those different results and be like, oh, wow, but look at the difference. If you do the EM and you do it for 30 days longer, look at all the flip. There's suddenly like certain microbes that are not there any longer. They're replaced by IMOs that are performing the same function. Sometimes their names are pretty similar when you look at the DNA sequencing, but there's function to that. And the only way we're going to figure it out is by actually doing it um, and letting it play out and looking at those results and letting our data. And, and so the, it's going to be, it's the database. I've got to finish sketching out all the pages for the designers right now. Um, I created a sketch out thing, but they said it was too, <laughs> too condensed. I have to like do each page and each thing. Um, so I'm in the process of doing that, but it's going to be free for everyone because how else are we going to get people to participate? Just like with yours, how else are we going to get it to be valuable enough? I'm going to add tools. So all the annoying stuff that people do, like the calculations, the math, the counting, you're going to click on the, like, we'll do, I, the, one of the things I figured out was viability stains are like $800 for a kit, but you can use an older stain that was common and has been turned into a malaria drug and a cancer fighting drug. And, and it's cheap, it's everywhere. But because they didn't realize that we have screens we can put things on, they, they didn't realize we could mess with the brightness. So everyone's like used to putting their eye right on top of it. So they're gonna blind themselves with this stain. But if they put it on here and lower the brightness to 20% and change the sensitivity, oh, I can do a live dead test stain and quickly see that the green is alive, the red is dead. And then I can click on all those with my mouse. And then it tells me the, 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 the average per gram of soil. Uh, and, and so when you leave the cyan blue laser on too long, it burns the cancer. Um, I just didn't want to cook it. So I just distracted myself. What was I saying? You're, you were talking about your uh, microscope work. <laughs> I was talking about the, uh, the database. Yeah. Yeah. And I want everyone to be able to participate. And this is the only way that like someone can be like, I think this is a fungal feeding nematode. And then they type into the database fungal feeding nematode. And then it pulls up a hundred examples and they're rated by the community in terms of quality separately from interpret interpretation. So you may have the best pictures and your interpretations may not be up to par yet, but the community will teach you. 
it'll show you. And the, the cream will rise to the top. You can take, as, as a member, you can take someone else's entry and then reinterpret it. And then your interpretation will be voted on one out of five stars and will rise up in the search and in, in, in the search ranking. And so the farms with the highest organic matter are gonna be the top of the charts. We're also gonna have like charts on the homepage. So the highest organic matter, the highest fungal counts on compost, um, the highest nutritional, like like uh, density, you know, bionutrient meter, bricks, bricks levels, all those kinds of things, because there's too many variables of what makes good soil and healthy plants to look at one and say, this is it. It's much more, I think it's also, it, it, it's, it makes it so that a lot of people can participate and a lot of people can rise. Um, you look at all the different variables. And so it's constantly changing all these different people Gardeners are on there alongside farmers, the local farmer, you can say, hey, I'm going to buy the best, the, the most nutrient dense food for my family. I know which farm to buy from in the farmer's market. I see where they fall on the ranking. And you can also see that their soil is, has the highest organic matter levels. You see the fungal to bacterial ratios. You see their, their, their microscope pictures, they're gorgeous. You're like, this is unbelievable. And then you see their Korean natural farming and you're like, oh, honey, let's, let's, let's have Chris Trump come do a, a workshop, you know, and, and teach everyone, all the farmers in the region or, or, or they, they want the recipe book, like my regenerative soil, you know, which has, you know, Chris Trump's work in there along with Elaine Ingham's along with, you know, all sorts of different folks. Um, like Hyo Restrepo, um, the ABCs of orga uh, Organic Agriculture, an excellent book, especially if you can read Spanish. Um, yeah, and then there's there's the uh, biofertilizer recipe book. I can't remember his name right now. Um, he's, a, he's another um, uh, South American fellow, amazing guy. There are, there are incredible people creating these, these things, but You'll notice when you look through them, just like you said earlier about Chris Trump, they're creating new preps all the time. They're fluent. And that's what we need everyone to arrive at. We need everyone to get the principles behind what we're doing and seeing so that they can start navigating, improvising, ad adapting, and extending the science at a community level. We see this already happening with certain things. In Peru, they have a seed culture there that's like nowhere else in the world. You know how they say there's 10,000 varieties of corn. Go to the highland valleys of Peru and you will see the corn has every color possible. The kernels, um, some of them are big as your thumb. Some of them like are horned and have sharp teeth on them. Some of them are surround like a grenade, like a ball. And it ranges all over the map. And meanwhile, it's all open pollinated. They have all the varieties. It's all open pollinated. And they have this culture, this pride around all this variety. So they all know how to do it. They're all preserving the genetics and the microbes are, these are where we're getting the plants where people are like, there's nitrogen fixing bacteria in the aerial exudates from the aerial roots. It's from these particular, and that comes from a living, thriving soil because they do no-till. They, they, they've been always doing no-till. They've got these sticks. They put the stick in there and they put the seed in the stick and it goes in the ground and they lift the stick and it's planted. 
so simple, so easy. Um, I think it was actually a golden staff that they would do. So they, they cared a lot. So <laughs> I, I, I wanted so, to, before so we get too far down the rabbit hole, I did want to mention a quick a parallel to that, what you were talking about earlier, as far as it's something I, I just a really awesome point that you brought up that I wanted to kind of highlight is don't be afraid to challenge academia. Um, for years and years and years, they taught that calcium and, and potassium hydroxide was the best way to adjust your pH in aquaponics. That is not the best way. We challenged that with cannabis and found that not only can we change it in cannabis and get much better results using calcium carbonate and potassium silicate, but we can get up to seven days longer shelf life for our lettuce using that method, among other things. So not only is it you know exclusive to cannabis, but also can apply to these other vegetables that have huge um, differences in terms of powdery mildew resistance, among other things, even when you aren't using soil layers. So, um, you know, just because academia is repeating the same thing over and over again, don't be afraid to challenge that because sometimes you very well might discover something that you observe and is repeatable that is, a, a, you know, completely um, different than what academia is teaching and much more efficient. So, uh, again, don't just, you know, a lot of people get intimidated. They're like, oh, well, I don't have letters in front of my name, it doesn't mean that your science is any less valuable. As long as you understand how to articulate it and quantify it and test it, you know, it's just as good data as anyone else's. Yeah, and they're trying to find things that they can patent and commercialize and then do at industrial scale. So that like rules out like 80% of the good ideas and good solutions in the world right off the bat. Like seriously, like life and natural systems aren't for the most part patentable. And then the life microbes that they're patenting is they shouldn't be allowed to do that. But, but it's like all like those solutions, like we actually can, can work out at a community level. You can really understand and test for things that seem like you have those lists of tests on there for all those. That's incredible. I never thought that I would be able to do DNA sequencing. And William Padilla Brown literally flew to Texas and taught me. It was just this incredible thing. And so, I, and you know, going back to Elaine Ingham, I, I, was a, I was really nervous to like talk about the soil science stuff when I was writing that first book. And she was like, listen, Matt, you've got this. She like gave me a pep talk. And I like had like like a moment where I it was like a therapy session or something. I was like, I didn't do well in high school science, Elaine. And she she like set me straight. And she was like, forget all that. The reality is they're like they're messed up. And you know, as I've done this work, and I've combined her work with John Kemp with Olivia Husson, with James White, mycology, with you know, Korean natural farming, you know, all these different disciplines and all these different understandings. Um, it, it, it all reinforces that the idea that we can do all of this. And not only that, we're the only ones that are, are I actually think, capable. <laughs> I mean, like, if we look at the examples of like, 
like their industrial mass, you know, top down solutions, they're terrible. And they end up in like catastrophes happening. And we like have people getting like mass, like citywide lead poisoning in their water. We have things like super fun sites poisoning entire rivers. We've got all these, these, these terrible things that happen that we could, if we were testing, we a, would catch very quickly. Well, not, we, we not only that, on. but not only that, but if you have biodiverse stuff that, that gets solved by itself, for instance, when have anyone listening to the show heard of an aquaponic system being the source of um, a pathogen outbreak for anything, lettuce, spinach, anything? It doesn't happen. Same thing with living soil farmers that, that actually care about their farm. They aren't the ones with these disease outbreaks. It's the commercial farms that are, have sterile soil that have no biodiversity in their soil that handles a lot of these issues before they become a problem to humans. It's always those types of commercial facilities. It's never a, a guy that has four acres or two acres or one acre and is growing, you know, a small patch of melons or lettuce or whatever. It doesn't happen. It, it just You can look all you want. It doesn't happen. And why is that? Because those farmers have the biodiversity on their farms that are preventing those types of issues from ever getting to the point where they're human pathogenic. I think there's also something to small is beautiful. I, I was at a dinner with one of my friends, like dads, and he was like this old mining guy. And he started talking about filters. And he was like, you know, at a postage stamp, you can make the most incredible filters. But then you take it up to the three inches, that's standard. And forget about it. Most of them don't even work. And it's like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, this is what happens with almost everything. You can't actually make it work at a bigger effect, like like, like at a bigger scale. And then when you like mass produce it, the amount of error for most most things just doesn't make it worthwhile. And so there's so many solutions. There's so many better ways of doing things that if we just slowed down a little bit and kept things smaller and more beautiful, um, we would find incredible solutions uh, and, and, and I think resilience and, and peace in that. For me, like personally, like with like the way I run my business and everything, I, I don't have a team. I, I really worry about that whole like gurification, commercialization of the person, you know, and like letting someone answer for me like freaks me out. Like, that's like, wow. And so, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I really feel like that we need to create communities and where we can like see each other and, and, and allow people to rise and, and have systems that actually empower people and connect people to the actual patterns of nature, because the patterns of nature are independent of us as individuals they are these things that we get to like witness together and that that is a much different experience of education it's like we went to the ocean and we saw the like like these like these maybe like these seals on the beach and like we observed them for hours it's like very different you know what i mean it's like we've like gone and and and, and immersed in these things and so doing these things together, being citizen science scientists, I think is the only way forward. I mean, I had to study so much to even understand like, all right, so this one time 
um, my wife got this thing in her jaw. It's in the book, Unstoppable Enthusiasm. It's actually the opening and the reason I wrote the book. And even though the Kickstarter didn't go huge or whatever, it, it failed. Um, it, I didn't care. I really wrote that book so that I could figure out how to help my wife. And I had to like figure out myself how to like, cause it's like, it was in her bone. And they were like, well, if it destroys the roots of your teeth, then it's cancerous, but we have to biopsy it to know. And it was destroying the roots of her teeth. And I was like, we can't biopsy this. And I was like, well, I've scheduled the biopsy for two months from now. And I'm like, honey, it will kill you if you biopsy it. And, and so what we did was uh, we, we, we just, I started doing all this research and I figured out, A, first of all, the best thing to not do with someone in that position is tell them what to do. That doesn't help them. You need to do this. You need to think positive. You need to, that doesn't work. Yes, I learned it because I tried it and it didn't work. Um, and my wife like, was very upset um, and felt like I was not helpful. And so I had to learn how to like resonate peace and enthusiasm regardless of what was going on. And that's extraordinarily difficult, especially with what she, we felt, you know, at the time was certain death and or the removal of a huge part of her face and um that, so it was just like it was devastating but it was because i was able to go into state and then i was able to just be like you know what i'm going to figure this out i don't trust like what the the doctors like say and everything they just have to follow their playbook i'm going to create a playbook and i ended up figuring out that if you use dmso dimethyl sulfide oxide as a carrier to go between, go through your skin and muscle, you can reach bone, especially right here where it's so porous. So we were delivering Rick Simpson oil, RSO, directly in, and then we were alternating it with the oxygen liniment. So that's like um, re re redox wise, those are opposite. So I was right, well, we were riding the redox on that up and down, up and down. And like, she did it for like really religiously. And then they got the, the, the day came and they were gonna biopsy it and they imaged it. And it had shrunk from a jawbreaker size to a pea. And the guy said, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. I'm not even gonna biopsy it. And it was like the greatest relief in my entire life. But it was also a confirmation that like, yes, in order to convince her, I needed like two doctors to agree with my protocol that it was safe. And then, then she did it. And then when it like worked, it was like, hey, she really believed me then. Um, but like, it was like this huge thing. I was like, oh my gosh, these people don't understand like the fundamentals of what's going on. And like, I just like figure this out. And it's like, we all can just figure things out. And there's so much, like I was talking to someone about uh, how last week about how there are definitely microbes in the wild in the cousins of the plants that we grow that are missing from our cultivated plants that literally could change the way our plants behave in, in beneficial ways. And we've seen that with the work of, of um, 
name. It's Wild Boar Farms. I am so sorry, my friend. I've forgotten your name for the moment. But Wild Boar Farms, uh, he created over 60 varieties of tomato in 20 years. And he did it by taking a wild tomato from the Galapagos Islands and crossing it with the best heirlooms he could find. And they first made the indigo rose with Oregon State. And you may have definitely probably heard of that. You know, like the indigo rose was like the first, they were small. Then he got it up to the black beauty. So we got the anthocyanin blush to come off the top and go all the way around. This is the, the, the it's his life's work. And, and, and the reality is it's like, he figured that out himself. It, he may have done it with a university, but that's because they want, like I've got people always like universities are constantly asking me to do things with them. And I'm like, I don't know where the studies are going and the information's going and it freaks me out. <laughs> and that's why I have to create this database so that like, they can touch the information as soon as it's like everyone's hands are on it. Um, and so, so what was I saying? <laughs> About your database and uh, all the different. Yeah. Yeah. Doing. All of us can participate in that. And so I made it free. Um, it's going, we're going to be beta testing it with the community that kickstarted it so that they can give me the feedback that I need to make it as good as possible. It's going to have tools so that anyone working with soil is going to find it invaluable. They're going to be like, Psh why would I waste time like counting and calculating when this does it automatically for me and returning it to read so that I can read the slides so I can do even more tests and then it can be like holistic. So like my, my long-term plan is that we do a transparent open source code that we eventually get like machine learning going so that it can read our, cause okay, they're doing it already with these machines that cost like $700 and you just run it, it's epifluorescence and you just run epifluorescence dye and you have purified cultures and it just counts the, the microbes for you, the live dead microbes instantly. And so this already exists. They're training AI in Europe to do it already. And so it's like, let's make one for the people. And so, so, so I want this database to be something that's so valuable because if even if someone's like, oh, I just do like Texas A&M, just straight up minerals, you know what I mean? It's like, well, actually your test, even adding your test to the database over time, the people who are adding your test plus all those other tests are going to build up and that's going to create a correlation effect. And we're actually going to be able to see into your test deeper over time exponentially. And, and that's just a product of data. And if it's set up like a library so you can research anyone's entry and then look at things across, so like across pH, across organic matter, across bioregions, across nematode population, across crops, across, you know, all these, you know, nutrient density, you can suddenly figure out things that were impossible to figure out before. And it's so- It's funny, uh, somebody literally asked in chat earlier, while we, I was talking about the other one, are you talking or adding microbes? And it sounds like you already got that shit covered. Uh, there's no point in me wasting time. It sounds like you're doing a way better job. Oh, well, well, well we're all in this together. I didn't know about your database either. Oh, no, it's no, no, it's fine. That's what's funny about it. It's fine. We, we hadn't done any work down the microbial space because we, we do have some testing on that, but we don't have a ton, nowhere near. I have a lot of human food pathogen stuff, especially in relation to water and and vegetables and cannabis, but with aquaponics, but I don't have anything beyond that. But 
Um, it's certainly something we could do, but someone asked about, are we adding that to the open nutrient project? And it's like, well, it sounds like yours is an infinitely more well thought out version of that, you know, portion of the puzzle. There's no sense in us trying to remake the wheel if you're doing an infinitely better job of so covering that. Synergy. Like what if we could figure out a way to synergize? And I also talked to William Padilla Brown about him creating a, like a, a mycological one, because if there was a mushroom one that, because endo, I mean, like, like obviously mushroomers aren't finding any endo, right? That's, that's not forming mushrooms. They're finding all the ecto and some of those like are edible. Some of those are not, but the reality is it's like, there's a significant overlap there. Like, especially in the temperate zone, there's a significant overlap there. So why wouldn't we like help foragers recognize like the, the actual like mycorrhizal species like even if they're non-edible, like we could have like all these like, I mean, one of the coolest things that I learned about was that the Autobahn Society works with Ducks Unlimited, the duck hunters, to actually make sure that the harvest of ducks every year makes the ducks healthier and a bigger population. And I was like, oh my gosh, monitoring gives you so much like power to help things and it's and, and like in my life i'm like yeah observation reflection duh i'm like okay right but like we don't do that with the natural world enough and it's like let's give the people who are willing to go out and forage all these mycological folks like the ability to like do a few more tests like do a few more things and then give a more holistic picture to our world and so I, I foresee all of us being like synergizing and, and creating these bridges between them that create these caveats. Like you literally saw this bridge between soil and aquaculture that allowed you to create a caveat, like your contextual, like, it's like almost a contradiction, but contradictions that work are literally what like innovation is based on. And, it, and, and often that's what like the best music is, right? You're like, oh my gosh, how do they like combine these two like opposite like genres things? And it's, ah, you know, it's that there's a sweetness there. So, so I really feel like, the, and also I just feel like the only way that we actually can see past our own personal limitations and assumption and expectations is to break it into that, com that community level. And, and 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 leverage that community solution building this this siloing this what were you gonna say <laughs> i was gonna say on the note of monitoring i actually have a federal banding license for raptors um, that's another one of my hobbies this is me as a teenager at the red tailhawk just on the uh, to, to further support your uh, monitoring thing yeah that's amazing I was trying to but find my golden eagle photo, but that one's, uh, I found that one quickly. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And those kinds of traditions, I feel like, man, if we were able to like, I don't know, free the children from the schools um, and like have like schools be like libraries instead where they could access resources and experiences and knowledge um and then like incorporate it like that would be just so incredible i think that so much of this and so much the wild thing about the microscopy 
it's like my 11 year old would like was able to do it all and i was like oh wait a second elaine ingham telling me when she's six years old helping your father in the university laboratory suddenly makes so much sense i'm realizing now like the ability to observe nature um just comes with the, the package of being human and the scientific level if it's done right is accessible too and so like yeah i feel like so it once and once we're inoculated with this sense of knowing the sense of like being open to ourselves being that solution and being that sensor we're really being sensors to like the changes within nature and the secessional requirements is how i see it when we're in these states and when we become these communities of sensors that that are respectful and what's so incredible about the communities that i've formed online like within my courses is they're all respectful like it's nothing like facebook and twitter it's really weird like in the best possible way but it proves like that's all like an illusion and even like the anger and like the all the energy and all that it's like that's an illusion of what we actually can be and it's just like a product of that whole world they create these illusions of scarcity and fear and disconnection and separation and siloing and this is chemistry and this is biology and it's like well in nature it's biochemistry <laughs> oh yeah so, in fact uh, uh just i wanted to bring this up too just because we talked about it earlier so this is a uh, a barn cat that took a shit in a plant start that we were going to put out in a field and you can see here the cat poop was completely covered in mycorrhizal fungi within 48 hours of it happening um, because the we were inoculating regularly with IMO and uh, making sure the soil was healthy. So even in the event of a direct contamination, you can have, you know, if your organic stuff is on point, you don't have to micromanage stuff. The garden will do it for you. You don't have to worry about this type of stuff. Just like you were talking about earlier, once you get everything set up right, it takes care of itself. You just have to maintain the whole system and, and you don't have to you know micromanage stuff anywhere near as much. Again, obviously you'd want to remove this before you put it out in the field, but it just goes to show as an example that you know even in an extreme situation, worst case scenario, if you will, it'll still solve itself and become you know fully uh, part of the uh, soil food web uh, even when a, a cat poops in your, your soil. <laughs> yeah, I want to like do all the testing and all that, but then. I also want to figure out how to test more tests against each other because so you you've obviously probably seen a microscope and seen the conjugating microbes like they're all exchanging DNA every little second they're like vibrating against each other they're exchanging DNA and it's happening so fast that like when we nice nice when we sequence we I I can't not think that they are reacting as we are breaking them down because it takes hours and in, in you know more than a day to break down the DNA. So it's like you do it like in sessions usually you like do like do this part and then like put in the fridge the fridge or the freezer and then do the next section or a really really long intense day. But it takes forever to break down the DNA. And I can't help but think that like the DNA is reacting as we break it down. 
And what makes you wonder if it's if it's like terpenes where some of them are getting cooked off or you're not getting the full profile. I see what you're saying. I never thought about that. Well, William Padilla Brown was sequencing a purified culture of cordyceps or maybe another fungi. I think it was cordyceps. Um, and it read as bacteria. And that's like, oh, what does that mean? And then if we think about a few different things that we already know, all of us already know, the thermophiles, the thermophilic bacteria, the heat-loving bacteria and fungi show up like magic in our hot compost and then disappear like magic. And then when we have disease promoting soil conditions, we get pathogens that show up. The thing is horizontal gene transfer really looks like maybe all like 40% of the soil profile, 40% of all compost is unclassified genes and it's fragments of breaking down or, or formerly broken down pieces of genetic material. And that dead material is constantly influencing us and influencing everything else in the soil profile. And that would mean that the E. coli, because E. coli is everywhere. It accounts for 50% of like everything, all surfaces, all compost, all soil in our guts. It's the endophytes in plants. It's, it's a fundamental to rhizophagy. It's in everything. And so the genes for pathogenicity, you know, constitute like a dozen, about a dozen species, but E. coli can express as millions of species. So the term like mammal is like E. coli and it's like millions of species, except it's like millions of species, except there's only 12 that are deadly in the entire world. Like that would be a crazy world to live in, wouldn't it? Where there was only 12 animals that we had to look out for, period. So what's but that's the way. Is, what's, I don't mean to cut you off there, but what's interesting is we've managed to mitigate the pathogenic testing in aquaponics with lactobacillus dosing. Within 30 days of lactobacillus dosing, it seems to overdominate whatever the uh, e, e. coli species is and, and we're able to completely eliminate it. We've done that you know, three times now with both lettuce and cannabis facilities, depending on which client it was. And we've, had, we've been able to re retreat that. It was originally from a part of a, just a regular testing thing that one of the groups of people we were working with discovered. And then we realized, hey, this, this could be super useful. And then we had a customer that actually failed for water testing. We tried it and it worked great at a one to 1000 ratio. So. Uh, one gallon of lactobacillus per thousand gallons of system volume. Um, it will lower your pH 0.1 to 0.2 um, uh, points of pH, but depending on your alkalinity level. So more uh, 0.2 if your alkalinity is lower, 0.1 if your alkalinity is higher. Um, so keep that in mind. You might have to adjust minorly your pH when you dose it, but it does do a very good job of eliminating that, maintaining system health. It'll get rid of the extra fish waste as well. So if you have like extra buildup in your media beds, underneath your raft beds, all that kind of junk, it works great. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. So I wonder if that's because it outcompetes the nitrogen. Yeah. And, and so it, like will, 
it will raise your nitrogen. So if you have a dirty system, like I've gone to people that have really messed up uh, DWC systems and we'll dose it and it'll spike the nitrogen through the roof because there's so much waste. It immediately mineralizes that waste and nitrogen. So you can, when you have a, a dirtier system, you have to back off on the dosing to like a one to 4,000 or a one to 2,000 and then ease into it because otherwise you're just going to slam your nitrogen through the roof. And then it spikes, you know, crashes the pH. Right. And, yeah that's yeah that's interesting um what was i saying again <laughs> this week i don't know what it is my, my, my 11 year old the same way he and i are like are on some wavelength where we're just like out to lunch good the uh the ever since i got covid man i've had a bit of the same issue with the short-term memory stuff like stuff that i study and read and stuff like i commit to memory none of that's changed but if i put my keys down somewhere my wallet down and and the dog barks and i come back like forget it like you might as well be in the freezer (laughs) Uh, mine's like uh like if i get the first two notes of the song i can play you the rest of the song like I just oh, know the beginning. I'm like, what's the beginning? And then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're playing that song. No and worries. I, and I uh, the whole pathway. We uh, maybe I'll, I'll divert us off of it for a second. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about was uh, you're you're one of the only people I know that's done a bunch of successful Kickstarters, and I thought maybe you could tell us about how to be a success. You know, maybe a, a couple a minute or two on how to be successful with your Kickstarters because so many people aren't successful, especially down the the gar- agriculture space, and and you are. Kind of one of the shining examples of uh, how to do it right. So yeah, I can talk about that. I've taught I've taught this, and I have a formula for this. And um, Oliver Goshi was uh, the Regenerative Edge, I think, is his podcast. He was interviewing me like privately, <laughs> not for his podcast, but about this. Um, and I, you know. I think that the way to go about it is to start perhaps in a way that most people wouldn't expect. Um, I have gotten better at recognizing the way people are empowered, the way that people um, unlock their greatest selves. So I was a sophomore English teacher. And so I had all those kids at that like precious moment, right? Where they're like, right before reality hits them hard. And like, you know what I mean? And so it's like this moment where like, you can like help them just leap into that next stage of life and like, and become, you know, that adult. And so like that transformation thing was always what I was about. And I saw in, in my work with people that like, that's what's missing for most people's lives is that transformation, that liberation of who they really are. And for me, um, I was teaching the Kickstarter thing to the kids. And then I was like, well, if you're going to do it, you should actually model it. And then if you're going to do it, you should do something you care about. That's like the most important thing. And then I was like, I came up with that idea of turning the PDC into a book. Um, And and so I, I've always looked for, hmm, if you're a skier, you look for where there's no tracks. You go to where there's a need. Like, like if you want to serve people, 
And then like, you go to a place that's untouched. It's like the blue ocean strategy. You go out to the, the open blue oceans. So you're not like in a feeding frenzy over like the latest trend or, or fad or something like that. And for me, it's really about finding what resonates with me and what people need. And then, and then I'm like, this is why I'm here. This is who I am. Like, this feels awesome. And it makes them feel awesome. And it's like that to me has given me the energy to study, learn and grow and change. And so from that space, I have, I have done everything I can to, to, to really figure out what people want. That being said, I do have a very specific way that I go about things. Um, I I always I I mean a, a Kickstarter I've like had Kickstarters fail because they 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 didn't serve enough people. Um, I've had the, my Indiegogo failed because it was for sixteen kids. You know, it was a small school. It's like that's not gonna fly. Um, and I, I did one about, I wanted to do one on the, the corn in Peru, a documentary on that, but I was going to send someone else to go because I was nervous about how my stomach would be. Aquitos? Um, it was going to be all, all, all over um, uh, uh, Peru in the highlands. So there was like a whole list he had, um, but but that purple speckled corn I grew, I was the first person to adapt it to North America. So like, I'm very invested in that area. I I, I flew my wife down to the um, Chinampas and Xochimilco. Um, I wish I, like my wife loved traveling. My kids are going to go travel um, this fall. Like, it's hard for me. I, I wish I could go, but I, I really just can't um, do those things. But um I can I can do some places in the U.S. Um, for for small periods of time, um, but but yeah, I'm a homebody because of all those those physical limitations. But um, so for me, I really have to figure out those resonances because if you want to go anywhere with a with an idea. It has to be so powerful that like you can barely hold on to it. It's like a fish in your hands trying to slip out. And so like I've always and I meditate. Um, like I said, I pray, I pray and I meditate. Um, I do the Joe Dispenza meditation and that last section of it where you are like doing that prayer, like I turn that into a full prayer. Um and um, and when I don't do the full 55 minutes, I make sure I do Wim Hof and then like the Tony Robbins, like <laughs> priming thing. Um, so so I really feel and I also. I did my best practices on educational psychology and I still study psychology. Um, I study psychology of a lot of different things. Um, a to like. Like I've studied the psychology of marketing that's made it so that like I'm like less susceptible <laughs> to like things and understand what people are doing, but also understand like what I'm doing so that I do things like knowingly 
because it, like like people on the internet and you've seen this you've all seen this it's like those people that you know you're figuring it out and then they start copycatting someone and you're like hmm you don't want to copycat this person who you're copycatting and you can kind of see it in them and yeah yeah I always want to be like authentic. I want to be connected to, to who I am. And so I'm always doing gut checks. I was a high school teacher and I, I, the only way you get like high school kids to really trust you is to know yourself so that you can be vulnerable and transparent, completely transparent and vulnerable. They're like, wow, this guy is really this guy. I can actually trust him. It's like, you know, and so like, I, I learned that there. And, and I honestly think that there's something huge about uh, I K through, I was a K through 12 sub for three years. And then I taught high school for four years. And I was a sub in the six most violent, you know, county in, in, in America. And I never said no to any of the schools. I went to the schools where other people were afraid to go. And, and I also said yes to the, the jobs that people didn't take, which were the special ed jobs, which, you know, even now, like, makes me upset. Woo! And so my mom wrote this, the first special ed curriculum for middle schools that got adopted into law and then adopted nationwide. My mom did that. And so growing up, like, education was, like, a huge thing. Um, of course, my mom passed the helmet law for kids when I was in fifth grade friends did not like that no longer friends um <laughs> but but my um yeah so I got lost on that one <laughs> no worries um but yeah no I'm definitely a product of like all of that oh yeah it was about I was the teacher yeah. So I was like, like seriously a product of all that. And that's what led me to like be more transparent. And I really feel like when you have that kind of like honesty, that kind of imperative um, structure within you sussed out, you read differently to people. And then you stay there, you start forgetting you're there because you're just there. You know, you don't think about like, you just speak the truth. You just say what you do and you do it all with intention. And that kind of liberation is exactly what I want for other people, because that means like, they're going to be their own experts. They're going to be their own path. They're going to, and, and then you'll learn from them. And it's this like great, like, like this circular gift giving thing. It's just unbelievably beautiful. And so I really lead from, from that place and I create things first for the most part. The database isn't created because I need the money to actually pay the, <laughs> the designers to build it. Um, and I also need to go through with them like really intensely for some back and forth after I start this process so that I, I make sure everything's right. And then we're going to do the same thing when we beta test it. But, but it, it, it really um, comes down to that, that we have this opportunity to really see each other eye to eye and liberate each other in a way that, I mean, in my master's like 
program, I learned everything that we were doing in school was messed up. Like, that's what I learned. I was like, oh, all this is damaging given the information you've just given me. And then I was like, oh, this is why all the other teachers with master's degrees homeschool their kids. And this is the point at which we started homeschooling. And then I learned more and I started unschooling. Never taught James music. I instead immersed him in music. And so my son, James Declan Powers, you can listen to his first album. He's completely self-taught. He like is like a Hans Zimmer, like wants to do like soundtracks, but then at the same time is like half Django, half Hendrix, half Sonic Youth. He could play like anything with a guitar. Um, and and it's and it's because he's he's actually fluent in what resonated with him as a person. And he got to access it early enough in his life that it became embedded in his instincts. And so it's like, how many of us have that opportunity? It's like, it's, and, and in, it, even in later in life, it doesn't matter how long we have brain plasticity, especially if you're, if you're taking, you know, strong herbal medicines and mycological medicines nowadays, people can become brain plastic and then learn incredible things. I mean, most of the people that were part of the entire bluegrass movement in New York City, which is bizarre, maybe sounding to some people, there's a huge bluegrass scene in New York City. All of them started playing like after 30, after 40 in some cases. And it's like, so I'm not just saying that like it's just for kids, though there's special magic to when kids have this. For us as adults, it feels like we're being given a second life. Like I, when I got it, I love teaching kids, but when two or three years out of teaching kids, five years out of like teaching in a, a public school situation, I teach kids now, I teach adults, I teach families now. It's so different now. I can, I can teach in such a freer way. I can be myself in a freer way. And that's what all of this can be. That's what permaculture shows us. We can have a, an economy independent of the industrials. We can we could have medicine that cures cancer. And, and I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not prescribing anything. But literally, I work with a team of doctors and used like a $30 bottle of liniment and then $60 vials of RSO. And I think we used like a vial, maybe two. And that's it. And it's like we have these modalities at the tips of our fingers. The potential for us truly understanding our world is at like the tip of our tongue right now. And I actually think that's why we see the world the way it is. Um, not to be like a conspiracy theorist, but conspiring people do exist. And what I see as a working example is that like, we have all the science, we have all the examples. And if we actually work together, we'd be able to see all the caveats, all the conditions Within a few years, we would have food, soil, medicine that was beyond our, our wildest dreams. We were, were growing food faster instead of months, weeks. We're, we're getting nutritional profiles that are so dense. We, we have reactions within our body, immunological responses, the way our plants have immunological responses within ourselves that we've never documented. Just like with living soils not appearing until more recently in time, 
they didn't have the ability to see the endophytes in the plants because we had sterilized the seed, we'd sterilized the soil, we'd sterilized those plants. So until the organic movement began and then they started getting it right, they, we didn't even see that these microbes were inside the plants. What will we see five years into this, 10 years, 20 years? I mean, we're going to be like 20 years into this, be like, well, it's important to have those gold chelators there at at least a 0.05% because of how it affects the function of the mitochondria and the second moon cycle and this reproductive growth state. I don't know. I'm obviously making that up. I did that on purpose, but that's exactly the thing. We're going to find these crazy, weird. I was talking to someone about how they said, you know, you purge from parasites, parasitic worms, which are nematodes, by the way, at a certain part of the moon cycle. And it's like, oh, snap. Microbes are, are, are actually affected by the moon cycle. I guess we should be testing and time stamping and date stamping every single test. And then as we look across time, we're going to be able to map those differences and changes. And then the whole planting by moon cycle, the whole looking at the microbes by the moon cycle. Oh, it's a full moon. I'm going to make sure I look at my microbes on the full moon because this expresses. I bet or, you uh, or another example yeah. would be bricks. Bricks changes dramatically over the course of the day in the plant. Like, you know, when you test it, if you're going to take it as a variable, it matters a lot, you know, and, and, you know, we've talked about before about how, it, you know, it doesn't make your plants immune. It certainly makes, you know, if you have high bricks, it's a good indicator your plant's healthy, but it doesn't mean that they're, you know, immune from all things bad, I guess, which is something that I think is often taught that we've, We've proven a couple of times is kind of a, not necessarily the case, but it certainly does make one, one heck of a difference in, in terms of improving them. And certainly when you deal with cold temperatures, you've certainly noticed a huge difference in high bricks and, and frost resistance uh, in greenhouses for sure. I wonder um, though about the, like the, with the bricks, like the monosaccharide polysaccharide, like difference, like if we could just different, get like a, a ratio on those, that would be so powerful because then we would know how well the plant is like regulating itself. Well, that and too, and, and just, hey, in cannabis, we, do, we study the terpenes and flavonoids and all these other compounds. You know, we don't study other crops or lettuce even to that degree in terms of secondary metabolite production. You know, what happens once we start to study other crops in that same type of vein where we're testing all these other variables and trying to min-max them and, you know, we're going to start to see trends across multiple crops and different, you know, phenotypes and, and, and all these other uh, cultivars and other things that, you know, right now we're, we're still so kind of infant in this knowledge, especially you were talking about with the genome uh, and genotyping of all these different stuff, being able to see that stuff well ahead of time when we have seed stock and other things like that is going to be key and, and, and kind of predicting this stuff longer term or, Hey, we can see that these seeds have a better chance of dealing with the high temperatures that we're now dealing with because of climate change or X, Y, and Z. You know, this is going to be a better option for you to grow long-term or, Hey, with the addition of these soil microbes, uh, you can see that we've already talked about previously on the show about how, if you have trichoderma often that can allow things like brassicas to have mycorrhizae uh, colonize their roots and things like that. But without the trichoderma, it simply won't happen uh, just as one example. So uh, making sure that you have that diversity can help again, even allow things that weren't possible normally to happen uh, entirely and things like that as well. So 
Yeah, so you you redox meter all the time, right? So um, not all the time, but but yeah, sometimes. So that's super interesting. I wonder how the the redox relationships differ and the redox charts differ for for plant roots um, in the water. Because yeah, something I, that I mean, I've been studying for the soil. Yeah, that and then the nitrogen question. So there's recently, actually just this past two weeks, there was a white paper put out on cannabis about um, the ammonia to nitrate ratios and how uh, uh, nitrate being the better uh, solution for cannabis uh, and that and no more than a, a what was the, the key was 10 to 30% uh, ammonia to the rest of it nitrates and anything beyond 30% being significantly detrimental to the plant as far as ammonia content and how you can even run the plants at 100% nitrates, but there was some detrimental effects, although not as many as the ammonia. Um, and that was really surprising because traditionally you're taught that nitrates are not very good, but uh, I think it's just the means that you get to those nitrates and not necessarily the nitrates themselves. Uh, and then whether or not you have molybdenum and valinium, if you have molybdenum and valinium present uh, to help convert that back to ammonia inside the plant, that's going to be a big difference as to whether or not you know, that's a problem, you know, again, again you got to go through the full chemistry of it, but that it was really kind of, Hey, I haven't seen a white paper kind of directly speaking in that direction that was, you know, had some meat on it. So that was kind of a, a different, interesting thing. But what I've noticed is that how nitrates and nitrogen has been handled in aquaponics is significantly different than how the microbes are handling it in terrestrial environments. And it seems to be one area of pretty extreme difference in terms of what, you know, pest resistance and, and a whole bunch of other things where in aquaponics it's not a problem at all for us in terms of you know uh, pest pressure being any different but in soil if you have not high nitrate presence it certainly seems to make a difference according to many other people's data uh, some of the people that you even you know talk to regularly yeah yeah like john kemp right so so that's super interesting so one of the things that I've talked to Quatamok Via about is the fact that in the history of cannabis, that I always think about the like the history of everything that goes in, like like the history of our understanding, the history of our involvement, and it really gives me like a three hundred sixty degree understanding. And so, like the history of cannabis, I think it was around our latrines. I think we were growing it around our compo. All right, I'm back. I don't know what happened. But I think cannabis was around our latrines. I think that we were planted. And it's the reason I think this is because when Joy Beckerman had me talk to hemp growers in Canada at a camp uh, like five years ago at a conference, it, they, she, want, she told me that they had not found a ceiling for nitrates being added to, to the soil. And she was like, they were at 200 pounds per acre of nitrogen uh, fertilizer and they're, they're, the plants just can take it. And I was like, how is this possible? And she was like, I don't know how it's possible, but we gotta get these guys to stop killing the soil. May make the plants grow, but it's just destroying the soil. And so I thought about it for a while and A, I, that was like one of my first times discovering like endophytes that fix nitrogen inside cannabis. 
And like now I know like that's any endo fight fixes nitrogen. You know what I mean? That's hilarious. But like um, at the time I was like, back to how? And like, but like they don't have a ceiling. And I, why would a plant have the ability to handle like infinite nitrogen? And I'm like, it's because they're like comfrey and they growing, they're able to grow on the outside of our latrines. And then it's like, okay, well, like like hemp seed is the most digestible protein on earth and you smash it with like a rock you can make clothing um it's it's like all of these amazing amazing things all in one and so like i think that's why and also because like we probably it probably survived some pretty ham-fisted early on training we're like, here's the, here's the manure. We're manuring around the plant, you know, is probably like heavy on the manure. And those plants just were like, figured it out. Um, and it, and it does feel like that cannabis has responded throughout all time to our needs. Um, I can tell you that we definitely saw huge issues above about 60 or 80 parts per million. Uh, in aquatic environments, it'll increase node spacing and reduce flower yield um, when it's above that. So um, I, don't, I don't know what that what that equates out to to pounds per acre, but uh, at least in aquatics, that was the, the threshold. That's that's awesome to know. Um, and and like that's the thing though is it's like these these plants have a history, and so once we understand that the, their history. It's like certain plants literally pump hydroxide. Like I think I, I want to say oatmeal, um, like they like oats. Yeah, <laughs> oatmeal. Ah! Um, oats are like pumping hydroxide. Why? Because they grew in the heather. So they grew in like that super acidic soil and sort of hang out. They had to pump the hydroxide or, or, or on their roots to create like a more balanced environment. So, so like that history of the plant is so vital. So that doesn't surprise me that it needs more nitrate than, uh, than ammonium. Um, but I do think though, that like, we're going to find that, well, it's so interesting. Okay. So like, get this, Quatermuk Via showed me his EM treatments of like, like preparing like the nitrogen. He always runs it through EM. So he's always turning the nitrogen source into amino acids first but he chooses like the manure for that stage. So he's like choosing like the one that's more like phosphorus for like later and like the one that's more nitrate um, and nitrogen heavy, like on the front end, but he's always digesting things. Um, and it's like super interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So high, high nitrogen um, uh, ratio reduces cannabinoids, terpenoids, and yield in medical cannabis. Yes, so what he was doing for years was he was trans transforming all the nitrogen into amino acids and then applying it with EM constantly. He was constantly adding EM in small doses. And now he does Korean natural farming with EM combined in his own repertoire. And his stuff that he was growing was really atypical and it was like um uh you know smarties the candy it smelled and tasted like that just unbelievable stuff but it was like esoteric and so it was like 
it, it was, I mean, I wrote, I wrote a book, you know, using that medicine. Um, and, and so it's like, it's just such a different thing. And I think that we're going to find biohacking communities are going to like, that's the thing is like, we're like this close to like having like biohacking, like cannabis where people, cause I've experienced it. And I know that most people hearing this, have experienced it. And it's like, there's sometimes some things that come across, you know, our, our, our dashboard. And we're like, Whoa, I think my acute just changed <laughs> and it's real. These effects are real. Um, and, and these states that we can, that we can be in these health states, these um, like meditation states, all these kinds of things have serious effect and they all correlate um, often to foods, to, to microbes, to, um, and to having all those things working in a system. So, so yeah, no, I think that so much of this, like the cannabis community is also the, one of the major ins like inspirations behind that database because they were, they, they basically were like, let's be transparent about this. It's like that whole MMA effect. It's like, what came out of MMA? Oh, a modified version of um, jujitsu, right? Like they, they're all doing like modified jujitsu now. And it's like, and if you don't do jujitsu, um, they can beat you every time. But if you don't do like this, like Muay Thai thing, like, <laughs> well, that sounded really, really well informed, Matt. Um, it, it, you <laughs> um but like but like that's the thing is it's like they figured out that it's like a combination of best practices that over 30 years has honed into this completely different animal like people know how to fight now that makes like the 80s and the 90s karate and like look like a joke but the same thing with cultivation like cannabis now makes cannabis from the 90s look like a joke um and, and yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that only comes from community. The internet had a huge component in so much. In mycology, it's the same way. In mycology, the, the whole, um, I don't have one right here, but the whole mason jar thing with the ports on top where you can stick the needles in, someone came up with that and then it went viral on the internet. And now that's the Dennis, standard protocol. Dennis, uh, wasn't that from Dennis McKenna's book? Correct me if I'm wrong. It was a very particular individual in an online um, forum, and Radical Mycology does such a good job of crediting him. I, I it's something Shroomery. like forty one. What from Shroomery.org? I older. It's I I can't recall. It's in the book Radical Mycology, but it's something like his name's like Dizzy forty one forty five. You know what I mean? Like it's something like like he credits the actual person from the original thread. It's um, but that's what community really is. It's that ability to cite things, but to cite those those individuals from our actual communities. And we're like, yeah, no, I've known that guy for ten years. It's like Chris Trump, you and like people like you guys are all doing amazing things, but you're also gonna do amazing things all of us like are pretty darn young and we're not like aging like our parents did. Like <laughs> we're, we're getting better and better. And so many of us are getting healthier and healthier, especially because of the food, especially because of the medicine is like worlds different. I did want to shout this book out. 
Uh huh. Anyone that doesn't own it, you should own this. The first time I ever saw it, shout out uh, Josh and Kelly up at Dragonfly Earth Medicine, it was at their house actually. Um, he whipped it out, and we talked about. Um, that's when I first learned about endophytes and, and all the microbes inside the plant. So, uh, shout out to Josh on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, I sat down and read through a, a good chunk. Well, I wouldn't say a good chunk of it, but a, a good section of it. Uh, over over quite a while there at their house after smoking some wonder flash so um, definitely a great uh, a great thing to get if you don't already own it um, certainly one of the best mushroom books out that's out there and especially we're trying to understand like how the whole machine works and how you can utilize it on your own property it's not so much like um you know a recipe book as it is trying to teach you the theory and the ideas of what's going on yeah, it's fabulous. I, I I think he might be working on a second edition. Um, it's 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 one of those books that uh, I think that people are going to be talking about for, for the next like fifty years. It's 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 one of those books. Definitely amazing. And you have uh, quite a few books of your of your own. Uh, um, do you want to maybe give us a quick rundown for people that are trying to get into it? I, I especially love your. Uh, Permaculture student artwork. Uh, I, I really love the uh, illustrations in that book, by the way. I actually own a, a copy somewhere. I tried to find it before the show, but uh, I couldn't find it. Oh, thank you so much. I've been really lucky. I've had a lot of like really, really fun people work uh, to work with. And in fact, I'm now doing like the illustrations, but this was uh, Wayne. And Wayne did uh, the cover for Bill Mollison's introduction to permaculture. That's why this looks like that. <laughs> he, he was the neighbor to the Lawtons. So he he, uh, he watched this all happen over the course of 40 years. It's got some incredible uh, illustrations that are uh, amazing, unique, and, and highly explanatory in terms of what's going on in the I just I always thought that was super cool. In fact, the, the the guy who's working on my aquaponic book is kind of, it looks similar or at least the same kind of, you know, looks like they came from the same town in terms of where they learned this stuff. Not, not, That's awesome. I, it was kind of inspired by it, I guess. Yeah, I think if I'm going to recommend one book, I'm going to recommend uh, Regenerative Soil. This book um, changed everything for me. Um, and I would say that this is the book that like the process of creating this book is what really made me a citizen scientist. And um, it, it, I mean, it, all right. So when I created this book, it combined the biological way of understanding things and the chemistry way of understanding things so that I could actually communicate across um, all camps so that farmers could read this and finally understand the biological perspective and the biological people could read this and understand why minerals are important too. And so I mapped the actual pathways for all plant essential nutrients in their natural cycles. And, and then I mapped where we could get them naturally sourced in nature. Um, I too use the Dr. Duke phytonutrient database, uh, but I also, um, again, just like you, went 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 further and and found other sources. Um, and this book is a recipe book, but it's also the science of how plants and soils interact from all perspectives. 
So there's redox um, as well as pH. There's um, the mineral perspective, the biological perspective, the paramagnetism. Um, we go down to the individual enzyme, ion, and microbe. And so we've got like microbial charts and libraries in which um, if you're looking for like a, a phosphorus solubilizer or mobilizer, um, either one, um, there's separate sections for both. Um, if you're looking for endoph endophytes of particular types, if you're looking for uh, uh, microbes that are specific for uh, drought or, or desertification, if you're looking for microbes that are specific for nitrogen fixing inside the plant, inside the soil, or in, inside the roots, um, all of those are delineated and separated. And you can then actually navigate through the world of inoculants that you buy, or you can grow these things yourself because I have actual um, lab preps that folks can DIY at home in jars, um, in, in, in Petri dishes, all different sorts of modalities that they can participate in. Korean natural farming, as you can see. Um, but so that everyone, and these are the first time corrosion charts have been color-coded or put into a book. So people can actually know the corrosion rates of each mineral, which tells you when they're available and in what form they are so that you can like, depending on your pH, you can quickly go like, like for instance, you can triangulate using those EH charts, your pH and your soil minerals. So you're like, oh, wow, I've got a lot of this, um, but it's all, it's not manifesting in my plant and it's all locked up. It's like, oh, well, it's because my redox is here given my pH, you can actually like find it. So um, even if you're not doing like a redox, like, um, and there's a bunch of different ways you can do redox. It's, it's, I mean, doing redox on plant sap is probably the hardest thing to do, but you can do uh, redox on soil pretty easily now. So this is, this is the book that I, I recommend most because it has affected people the most. Um, soil is the linchpin. And my, my students have used not even the, the core, the courses really help people to finally like incorporate and deepen their understanding because they work with me, but people have just used the book and doubled their yields. Like universities like have figured that this book can double their yields. And so university, uh, uh, uh Utah state university, um, is using this. And, and so that I, this book is is my bestseller it's and it's my highest recommended book um david holmgrim the co-creator of permaculture says this is the only book that he'll use so it's it's like the most um unexpected thing that's happened to me in my life when i began writing this i was so intimidated because it was chemistry that i had to learn and i was like um i remember chemistry the teacher made fun of my stutter and I may have said something to her that wasn't nice and then got kicked out of class. That wasn't good. And so I had like all this like built-in trauma and like I was like starting this project and realizing like it was like this like sore spot. And, and in overcoming that, seeing that like it was the, it would, like that the challenge was actually the thing I needed to overcome to link everything man, I understand food. I understand our bodies. I understand everything completely differently because of writing this book. And that's what led to me rethinking the way we do microscopy. I realized that we're doing microscopy upside down. 
um, in soil science, like physically, literally upside down. I'm thinking about this. We're blasting a light from below towards your eye. And then you're like, wow, this root is hard to see through. Let's turn up the light more. And then you're going to smash it between a cover slip and a glass. That's real natural. And so like, I just like started re <laughs> redoing everything. And it all started with this lens. Um, I eat completely differently now. Uh, I, I, I think about everything. Like as soon as I, I did this, I understood that whole redox thing about what we do with my wife's, my wife's jaw. I did it without understanding. This is what, after I wrote this is what I, I understood. So that book changed my complete understanding of the world. It seems like everyone who encounters it and who reads through it, it has the same experience. Chris Trump said that, I think it's on the back or no, it's inside. Chris Trump said, I think he said it. Where are you, Chris? So regenerative soil is an efficient look at the symphony of nature. Matt has built an excellent portal for deeper understanding. And when he first said that, I was like, I was like, portal for deeper understanding. And I was like, I just did all this work. <laughs> I was like, there's understanding in this. But then like, it like distilled upon me because, you know, Chris is like a mentor of mine. I'm, you know what I mean? It's like, we teach each other things, sure. But he's a, definitely a mentor of mine. And, and like, months afterward, I was like, you know, Chris was so right. Like, now I understand these things like so much deeper. And then like three months later, I was like, man, three months ago, I thought I was like having breakthroughs, but now it's like crazy. And in the middle of this Kickstarter, I'm like, wait a second, we're doing this backwards. And I had like, great, I created a new way of visualizing roots. So a non-destructive way with light from above. And, 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 and it allows us to see roots in a completely more genuine way. And um, I also figured out how to do epifluorescence um, on a bright field at like adaptation kits I'll be able to sell to people. I figured out like all these different things, like, and it, and it doesn't stop. Like this week, I figured out that as we lose the CO2, uh, the carbon, and it becomes oxidized, um, we're losing the energy in the soil. And that's pretty obvious when you think about redox, reduction, oxidation. Oxidation is the loss of energy. But then I was like, all right, well, if the soil's negatively charged, because remember grounding, and that's a real thing, that means that the compost that we add is negatively charged. That means the clay particles are negatively charged. So as we lose carbon, we're losing the actual charge. So that means the opposite of that charge because it's just like fourth phase water where you create a certain, like you, you create that polarized surface. Um, that's why the sky, our atmosphere has been losing its, its, its density. Our atmosphere is shrinking and it's leaking oxygen into the, uh, the, into space right now. And we're more open to solar flares than we've ever been. And there's a huge debate about why no one knows why. And I think it might actually be the soil. And that only occurred to me this week and everything I do placement wise and how I go through it and everyone expert I talk to, they're like, wow, that, that makes perfect sense. And it fits and works, but I never thought about it that way. 
So if we, we, if we bring back the living soil, we bring back the carbon into our soil, it'll be able to hold the protons, which are all positive, hold the cations, which are all positive, which means we're increasing the neg negative charge to match it. And that negative charge is like a battery. And so the positively charged atmosphere will thicken. It will strengthen. And, and with fourth phase water, what happens is that polarization that happens on that hydrophilic surface in the water, that gel state water, it actually clarifies, it cleans itself. And right now we've had declining oxygen for over a hundred years and don't know why. Well, I can tell you why. When you till, you're oxidizing the soil. So the oxygen goes right into the soil. And it's like so basic. I mean, like when you re do any kind of redox re re reaction, you reduce one side and oxidize the other. So one side's gaining energy and the other side's losing always, always. So obviously if we're losing oxygen, it's going somewhere. And if we're losing like the, the carbon in the soil, it's bonding with something. So the oxygen is getting bound not only to the CO2 gassing off, it's getting bound to all the particles in the soil and getting turned into this crystalline form. So I have these, these things keep happening and it's all because of that book. Um, so that, that was, was huge for me, but I think that that's indicative of what we were just talking about though. There's something that's in each and every listener. There's a story, there's a piece of the puzzle that's a bigger tapestry that we're all part of, that they can be, be, be part of elucidating or discovering or putting together um, and it's in that community process of understanding and getting that lens, that fluency of understanding and communication. Once that's flowing and we're all these senses and we're these sensory organs for this larger community that's transparent and learning and growing from itself, ooh, that's an exponential growth and opportunity. So, so that's really what it's all about. It's, it, it's, it goes right back to that liberation. <laughs> oh, it sounds amazing. Uh, in fact, the origin for the Open Nutrient Project was me and Chris were BSing one night and I was, he was like, well, we were kind of talking about like what we would do if we could just like focus on the research part. You know, if you won the lottery, like what, what would you do research wise kind of thing? And I was like, well, it'd be cool to just sit down and like mess with all the different combinations of KNF inputs and different plants and see what the nutrient inputs are as far as trying to get to replacements on that. And that was really cool. And then I ran across a guy out of Vietnam named Quan Con Pham, which is in, uh, we did an interview with him, episode 251. If you want to listen to this, if you listen to the show, go back and listen to his episode after this. Yeah. You learn a whole lot of other cool stuff that complements a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. But he was doing liquid IMO ferments uh, for 90 days or longer and getting incredibly high nutrient PPM levels with specific plant inputs, bananas. And he talks about some of the other ones in the show and, and having high iron levels and potassium levels and other things. And that got me thinking like, well, okay, cool. So I could sit down and try to figure this out and get a Hannah meter and, and try to map this all out, but it's going to take me like, years and years and years and i'll never have access to half the inputs that other people out there do how do we like figure this out like you got to get a university behind it and like deal with all the bs and and all the strings attached with working with universities which if anyone has worked with a university they're they're wonderful sources of education but man it is brutal to try and get anything done in a time of 
functional timeline. I'll put it that way when it comes to ag that- research. <laughs> but um, I, it kind of occurred to me, look, the only way that we're going to get this data is just to open source it and to try and pull in, hey, we can all do and test five plants a year. That's cool. You know, we can test our five inputs a year or two inputs a year. But we, if we aggregate this, now we can get thousands of them per year. Now we can start solving some of this stuff and building these nutrient profiles that can start and and hey you combine this many pounds of this and this many pounds of this and this many pounds of this per cubic yard you're going to have good compost or x y and z ferments or whatever it is that you're trying to do we still have the nutrient data to to make those types of educated decisions because right now none of that exists in in a form that's either free or just available to the masses in any form even if you got to dig through google scholar it's still not not there right so the same thing that you're doing with your database so you know, it's kind of funny how all this stuff kind of slowly spawns into something that can help, kind of help. Uh, and man, your stuff sounds really amazing and certainly on a whole other level compared to the stuff that we're, we're trying to put together. But I certainly look, looking forward to the stuff that you're working on for sure. Well, you've got a totally different angle too. I mean, it's like your aquaculture perspective, especially with the dual root zone, opens up such an incredible space, um, totally unique and powerful. So I'm really looking forward to looking at your database and also like synergizing and, and seeing everything that we can see. Heck yeah, man, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, we've kept you for quite a while, uh, a little longer than I originally intended, but uh, um, uh, I guess one or, one or two last questions here. Uh, how do people uh, find your podcast if they aren't aware of your podcast? And then uh, tell them our listeners a little bit about our podcast, your, your podcast, because um, we love to cross pollinate listeners. A lot of our people like to listen to other shows because obviously there's so many hours in the day and uh, no podcaster can fill them. So, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've got a regenerative future is my podcast. Um, I don't have like a weekly set thing. I tend to do things like uh, I'm like a project-based thinker. And so I like, crank on that one project and I focus on another thing. I tend to follow my passions. You can follow me on SoundCloud or you can find me on iTunes for a regenerative future. We cover permaculture, soil, microbes, everything under the sun that's regenerative. Uh, and, And that means, you know, partnering with nature to get better and better over time. Uh, he has a lot of great episodes. I've actually listened to him for quite a long time and um, uh, excited to finally have him on the show for sure. Um, I, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, uh, do you want to tell everybody how to find you one last time? And then uh, um, we'll both actually, uh, him, I, and our uh, our good friend Chris Trump will all be at Masili at the festival if you want to come hang out with all three of us in person. Um, come out and support our friend Cass. Um, at Mycelia at the festival at Wilkinson, Washington, uh, August 19th, 20th, and 21st. Uh, you can hang out with all three of us in the same place, uh, as crazy as that sounds. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a whole bunch of other listeners or uh, speakers. Um, uh, she only has a couple on here, but I know there's like 28 or 30 more speakers than, than what's on here. So I'm super excited to see all the different amazing people and all their wonderful sources of knowledge uh, that are going to be out there. And you can find... Uh, 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 Matt over at um, thepermaculturestudent.com. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at uh, Matt, I'm sorry, at permaculture123 uh, on, on Twitter. And then you can find him on 
Kickstarter. Uh, you can look up Regenerative Soil Microscopy. Uh, and his podcast is Regenerative Future. Um, is there any other ways that people can find you that I might have forgotten there? Yeah. Um, thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Uh, YouTube. If you go on YouTube, Matt Powers, the permaculture student, there's over 500 videos on there. And I've got that that book I mentioned, the over 400 pages, the permaculture student two, that big purple book. I read it to you on there. So if you want an audio book on permaculture, that's there for you. Awesome. That, that's really great. And uh, you can find his YouTube channel here again. Uh, Matt Powers, the permaculture student on YouTube as well. And uh, his amazing book, I'm certainly going to have to pick up a copy now. Uh, uh, yeah, I feel bad for not owning a copy of that one already, but uh, certainly sounds like a great, great read and uh, one I'm definitely looking forward to going through and uh, so, uh, really excited about it. Um, thanks a lot for joining us today. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time uh, and uh, coming on the show and uh, certainly hoping to uh, speak with you in the future. Uh, I know we kind of talked for quite a while before we even started the show about stuff that we're both mutually interested in. So I'm sure I'll hear from you again, and I'll certainly see you here in uh, about three weeks out in the, in Washington State. So I'm certainly looking forward to that. Oh, thank you so much. This was so fun, and it's going to be awesome to be in person. I I, can't, I really can't wait because I, I I've we've never met in person, and then I I've actually been working with Chris for so many years, and we've never met in person. So this is going to be a huge moment for me. Oh, that'll be super amazing. So, so and I've never met uh, Cass either. So it'll be a, a super, super awesome uh, experience and all these wonderful people meeting each other and, and having new experiences. So definitely be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. And we'll certainly have to, to pick a couple of topics because it certainly feel like we'll, we can uh, vibe quite hard on a whole bunch of different topics and talk about more in depth than most other people. So I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Wow, absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. That was wonderful. Uh, always really enjoy having uh, uh, really amazing speakers such as uh, Matt on the show, um, especially one that uh, I have so many amazing mutual friends with. Uh, he's certainly an awesome guy who I've followed for a long time and uh, Really looking forward to hanging out with him and Cass and Chris and all the other awesome people out at my silly at the festival. Hit the wrong button there. I meant to throw that on the screen. Let me throw that back up on there one more time. If you guys are available, please come hang out with us in Washington. Uh, again, middle of August, uh, 19th, 20th, and 21st. There's camping and all kinds of other stuff there. Uh, it'll be a really good time. Certainly don't want to miss it. I know I'm kind of looking forward to it as my summer vacation. I'm not going to lie. Uh, each one day and enjoy the other two so really really looking forward to it and uh really uh, really appreciate matt taking the time to come on the show again radical mycology was a book we were talking about earlier and uh if you haven't already please go out and support our mutual friend chris trump he has an incredible course on on Korean natural farming if you're looking for kind of a one-stop shop he has an incredible uh, database of information. He has a whole bunch of new stuff he actually showed me the other day. He's adding as well, kind of like me and, and my class. We both kind of add new content as our, our craft uh, evolves. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, a purchase once and continue to get new amazing information. So um, definitely support Chris and all the hard work he's doing. He's certainly uh, leading the way when it comes to English speaking, Korean natural farming teachers. Um, and again, don't forget, uh, we do have the PEST class, uh, thepestclass.com. Uh, we have a class.
quite an extensive full day course on pest management to cover all the different biocontrols, uh, beneficial insects, release rates, uh, anything really that you need to solve most of your insect solutions in your garden, as well as um, how to approach a couple of different stuff. Maybe we don't have an answer to in the, in the uh, presentation, how to approach a couple of different ones, how to deal with fungal, unknown fungal things that you're pretty sure is a fungal infection, how to deal with an unknown six-legged insect, how to deal with an unknown eight-legged insect, or I'm sorry, a mite or uh, other arthropod and other different types of things. So kind of gives you some different ideas and theories and concepts about how to approach some of these different things, as well as treatments for all the common stuff that's out there for vegetable and cannabis gardens alike. Uh, we also have uh, the apmjclass.com. We have quite an extensive uh, uh, course there. It's over six days now on aquaponic cannabis and counting. I do have a bunch of stuff I got to finish editing. Um, we've recorded and I just got to edit it down and get it uploaded. So I do apologize to you guys on that. I've just been a little bit busy. This month has been kind of a clusterfuck and a half. So um, we'll get through it together. And uh, But there is a whole bunch of new content. We have over 300 slides coming. Uh, and I have about 400 more that we haven't recorded yet. So uh, that's on top of the existing 700 that are already part of the course. So uh, again, kind of an ever-growing course. It's certainly nothing like the extensive uh, 200 plus hours that uh, our wonderful guests had tonight, but we're getting there slowly, but surely. <laughs> Um, we also have, and this is something I wanted to take a couple of minutes to talk about today, um, the launch of the Open Nutrient Project. So this is kind of my, you know, fuck you to Monsanto with both middle fingers up. Um, basically, uh, with this database, if we continue to build this, we can provide for farmers to create their own fertilizer solutions, regardless of where they are in the world. Um, they can be in the United States, Africa, South America, Australia, and source their local plants, look up the contents of them by Latin name in this database. And then I figure out the right potassium, phosphorus, nitrogen, and other nutrient inputs to balance out their compost. If they want to do FPJs, if they want to do liquid ferments, they want to do Jadam liquid fertilizers. I don't, whatever it is that you are passionate about with your preparations, this gives you the data for the nutrient resources that you uh, need in order to make those decisions the right way. And like we talked about earlier, you know, we have all the, the um, uh, for instance, the mag magnesium inputs here, um, you can see that the uh, Solicteria batillus is there. Um, and, and this is linked directly back to the original source material. So if you want to double check or you think something's an error or you want to look up other compounds in the plant, you can look it up immediately by clicking on it. So it just kind of gives you a, a way to kind of source your own material. It gives you a way to source your own material without worrying about um, you know, trying to min-max anything. And, and it's all sorted by minimum average content. So you're not just choosing based off of uh, what, what's been highest tested one or two times in perfect soil conditions. This is based off of what's the highest minimum average. So um, it kind of is much more functionally useful than a lot of the other databases that are out there in terms of uh, hyperaccumulators and things like that. We'll so the water testing database. So you can test your iron, silica, magnesium, chloride, whatever. Um, you can scroll over and, and look at the direct manufacturer's link. You can look at the retail link and whatever else it is that you need from uh, in order to make your decisions or buy your own right test kits for, for your own home garden. And we have, you know, it's an extensive thing. We cover heavy metals, arsenic, lead, cyanide, you know, paraquat testing, a whole bunch of other things that like, you know, are relevant to what we're doing. It's not just, you know, NPK. So I try to make it as, as functionally useful as possible. So if you are out there, you want to get into this, you want to help participate in the betterment of knowledge, please do. If you go to the bottom of the page, you can click the first uh, form 
and it takes you over to here, which is a nutrient submission form where you can submit your own, you know, uh, plant FBJs or Jadam liquid fertilizers or plant, you know, uh, plant, uh, plant labs or whatever it is that you're doing for a plant fertilizer. And then you can uh, submit that here. And then that'll, you can click this other button here and it'll show up in the database. You can see we've, we've launched this this morning. We've already had someone add a moringa leaf uh, ferment along with beet juice, uh, vinegar, and some other things, and then the nutrient PPM. So this will kind of be a publicly available, open source, always available database of these nutrient inputs. So I'm really looking forward to this. And this is kind of able to solve the solution of the problem I was describing earlier, where, hey, this is multiple lifetimes worth of data uh, harvesting. Um, the only way we're ever going to achieve something like this is by open sourcing it, allowing everyone access to the data and asking everyone to contribute as they're financially able to submit tests or, hey, if your farm is testing an input, just put your data into the thing and allow other people to learn from it, you know, the same way that we uh, learn from other sources. So, you know, the longer we do this, the bigger the database, then we can start crafting different soil formulations and input formulations to create the best soil solutions for people that, you know, especially coming uh, out of Africa, really kind of was eye-opening to kind of see, hey, a lot of these problems are, are totally achievable to solve. It's just a matter of getting people the data in a format that's easily viewable on a phone. Anyone in Africa can translate this on language using Google and, and pull it up on their phone. Uh, same thing with South America or Australia. You know, you, there's no language limit. I try to make this as basic as possible. Uh, that's why we used Latin names instead of common names. You know, all of this was designed to be as language translatable as possible by design. So while we don't have all the, the common names, I will add those later on, but right now it's just not as important as getting the rest of the mechanics working on this whole project. Um, but I do hope that you guys see the value in this and the, and the value in, in crafting your own inputs and, and getting this data out of it so that we can start to move away from chemical fertilizers and synthetic fertilizers, our reliance on these companies that we have to continue to purchase from. We don't need them. We can build something like this and tell them to go fuck themselves and forever have all the nutrients that we would ever need and never have to purchase it again. We just have to make the data available to everyone and, and formulate the data. So by having the test kits available and I will add the soil test. I, I, I have to port the database. I'm, I'm still finished getting the rest of this onto the website. So I do apologize. It's work in progress, but uh, it is more than functional for any liquid input right now. And you guys can continue to work with it uh, uh, as it continues to come online. But, um, you, you know, we can be the solution to all of these problems. We, it's not so much that like, oh, these are huge problems with agriculture that we can't solve. We can. We just have to give people the toolbox to solve the problem. And we can do that. All of that is within our grasp. All of that is within our power. We all have, we, we can all afford to do it. If we all send in a couple of tests a year, put them in there and aggregate this into a massive database of nutrients and plants that people can use wherever it is that they are. So that's kind of the goal of it. Hopefully we can pull it off. If not, yeah, it was a fun project. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly one that I spent a lot of time on. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really do hope that we'll see a lot of cool stuff out of this. It's certainly something that I spent a lot of time on and I'm really passionate about. Uh, I'm really looking forward to learning more about Matt's uh, database as well. It sounds like his would, would quite uh, complement the work that I'm doing. And uh, I'm really, certainly we get a chance to sit down next to him here in three weeks. I'm looking forward to asking him all about it. So uh, uh, thanks again, Matt, for coming on the show. And um, again, openNutrientProject.com. 
will take you right to that database. All of it's for free available to anyone that wants to do it. You can download it, whatever. Um, if you do cite it and put it on your own site, please just link it back and say is where we got it from. That's all I ask. So I do try to include uh, any and all um, source material. There's only a couple of things on there that I could not find the original source material uh, for. Alrighty, guys. Uh, thanks for watching. Again, uh, you can find me at apmjclass.com, apmjnutes.com if you need nutrients. Roger and I have uh, some other cool stuff we're cooking up, but uh, uh, yeah, that'll probably be uh, more for the fall. Um, what else do we have going on? Yeah, if you need nutrients, we can help you out with that in terms of balancing them out if you're struggling with your aquaponic system. Otherwise, um, I think our next episode is going to be on. The 4th of August, I think. Uh, double check. Uh, one second. I'm sorry, guys. This whole week has been a bit long, and it's only Monday. <laughs> um, the next episode, yes, is August 4th. Um, so if we have something pop up before that, I'll let you know. Um, we will be doing a bunch of quick episodes, uh, or rapid fire episodes, I guess is probably a better way to put it, um, with different speakers from the uh, Mycelium Festival Conference. There's a lot of cool people there, and uh, I just want to get them on the show and kind of promote why you should come hang out with us in, in Washington. Um, Cass has put a lot of time and energy into it, uh, especially during a particularly trying time in her life, and I really appreciate all the hard work that she's doing. Uh, I think a lot of us do, and we're looking forward to the festival, and um, I'm going to kind of support her as much as we can. Um, so we're trying to, to get as many of the cool speakers on there on the show as we can. So. Uh, we might be on Thursday. I know we were originally planning on not being on Thursday. Some stuff has changed. We might be on Thursday. I might have a pretty cool guest with me. We're going to play it by ear. So uh, don't totally give up on Thursday's show yet this week. So I'll leave it at that. Anyways, thanks for watching. You can find me at SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all the things, Potent Ponics or Growing With Fishes. And we'll be back again probably on Thursday. If not, definitely the following Thursday. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys in the future. Cheers.